Okay, well, thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with Holly. Um, in this episode, she talks a bit more about the psychological support um, that she received during her care. Um, and we get to hear a little bit about the sort of emotional impact having a kidney donated from a deceased donor can have. And it's not something I'd ever thought about at all before. Um, Holly talks about it very articulately and really helps to convey the sense of the um, emotion she was feeling at the time. Um, so we talk we talk a bit about that. Um, <laughs> we realise that Holly hates the word journey, so I'm really, really going to try hard to, to stop saying that, so definitely look out for that. Um, and she starts to give across the message that transplants are not a cure. Um, and this is something that I'm personally really interested in because whenever I talk to people like my friends who aren't scientists, they always just assume, well, why do you need to worry about kidney disease? You just have a transplant, don't you? Um, Without thinking that, A, it's really, really not that simple. B, it's difficult to find a kidney. And C, even if you do find a good match, you're on a lot of drugs just to try and stop your body rejecting that. We'd just like to make it clear that the details of the care Holly received might be different to the care you're potentially receiving yourself at the moment or that loved ones have received um, and that could be for a myriad of reasons and we're just we're more interested here in her personal experience rather than the medical side of the specific drugs she received and when without further ado i think we should just get on and let holly do the talking less of me more of her enjoy so i'm just thinking back to when we spoke to kate mm. um, and when kate was talking about when he needed a transplant and in the end he entered that um like donation pool program the paired pool scheme yeah and i remember him saying that did his dad match or his dad wanted to test and cave was like i just don't Mm. want he didn't want the responsibility of having his dad's Mm. kidney i think he was really scared that Mm. if it failed he'd sort of feel like well great i've ruined my kidney i've ruined my dad's kidney uh, you can check out episodes one to three if you want to recap <laughs> that. Maybe I should have another listen to. But um, yeah, what? I mean, basically what he was saying is that he felt a real responsibility to not destroy yeah. another mm. kidney. But I'd imagine even in your case where, yeah, it wasn't a relative, but mm. it sounds like you still sort of felt that responsibility. I or- do. I mean, obviously, I feel like it's now, you know, my kidney and my transplant, mm. but I only have it because of their generosity. So I do feel the responsibility mm. to look after it the best I can and, you know, take care of my health and be responsible around the choices that I make. Just out of respect, really, for mm. them. Yeah. But that's such a mature attitude, isn't it? I mean, you seem so balanced about everything. I were you? Did you always feel like this? Or has this been part of, of your journey um, that you sound so together? <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing now because I know anyone that knows me that listens to this is going to say you are not together. Um, But I think, but I think in relation to my transplant and in terms of that, yes, that always has been my attitude towards it. But in terms of dealing with my illness in a broader sense, I think there have been maybe far more days of sort of panic and anxiety and you know, real, real intense stress and distress I suppose than there have been of me being able to you know articulately discuss Mm. the impact that it's had on me and I think that is kind of what makes me appreciate the really you know beneficial impact of psychological support Mm. for not only transplant recipients but renal patients in general Mm. 
because to be honest, if I hadn't had the support that I've got, I don't think I would have been, I would be coping as nearly as well as I am. So do you feel like you've had good support? Yes, I do. I feel like I've been extremely lucky compared to stories that I've heard from other people. Right, so it's sort of patchy depending on which trust you're in. Yeah, it is, which is not the way that it should be at all. But I was very lucky that I did have access to a renal psychologist at Royal Preston Hospital. And they're that specialised, are they? There's like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I know it's dealing with specific. Yes. But I wouldn't have imagined. Yeah. It's great to hear that they have No, it was brilliant because it meant that when I went to see her, I didn't have to explain to her what dialysis was. I didn't have to explain what, you know, a transplant entailed. She sort of knew that because she worked within the unit anyway, Mm. which meant that I could come straight in and start discussing, you know, the psychological aspect of it. She had the background knowledge to be able to help me in context. Mm. And I mean that, it absolutely, it changed my life. It changed my perspective on everything. I wish everybody had the support that I had. Mm. That's a great, um, a great Mm. story actually, because um, yeah, we have a, an amazing psychologist that works with our families on the renal replacement therapy program. Um, but her time is a bit divided in mm. that she spends some of the time working with other patients in different specialties in the hospital. Um, and it would be really nice to just have her completely dedicated to our patient group because we've got so much need, mm. particularly in pediatrics, where, you know, going through something like that at an even younger age has such a lasting oh, impact on your yeah. mental health. Um, so, you know, it's it's really good to hear that you had such a positive experience. Mm. And I mean, I feel so lucky, like you've just mm. said about dealing with it as a paediatric patient. Mm. I feel very lucky that I managed to complete my education mm. and most of university as well before mm. I got ill because I can't, I have friends that, you know, grew up with kidney disease. I can't mm. imagine what that must have been like for them and their families as well. Mm. well I think you've all, you've all fought your own battles and... Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just glad to hear that 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 support was there mm. for you. Mm. So are you sort of, well, where are you now? So you've had your kidney what five, I've six years? I've had my kidney almost three and a half years. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Um, on the whole, pretty touch wood, problem free. Okay. No episodes of rejection. No. So how FFGF how good is recurrence? the match? We should probably talk about the. Are there eight haplotypes? Oh, you did this last did time. Did I? Or? Did I? Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, there are things that have... I did do this I last time, know. didn't I? Yeah. You did. So, is it a good match? I think... they. I remember before I had my transplant, the surgeon came to talk to me to tell me a bit about it. And at that point, I didn't really understand what matching was. It's, it's fairly complex. But he said, it's good. It's not perfect, but it's good. I think mm. they said 210. Is, is so it's a bit different in adult practice oh. in terms of what's acceptable yes. in, in, in pediatric practice because we'll assume that a, a pediatric patient will have to have more transplants mm. over their lifetime than someone who's going into yeah. the renal replacement therapy at a later That's stage. A um, uh, so we tend to be a little bit more stringent on the mismatches we allow at those relevant um, uh loci in the genome mm. that are important but actually these days the immunosuppressive therapy yeah. is so much better that actually the matching is probably less relevant mm. than it might have been when our when our drugs weren't as good um because we have you know lots of good therapies out there to yeah. to maintain graft function and and, and and prevent rejection mm. that probably you know have evolved over time yeah so on the whole i think i've 
had a pretty medically wise, medical wise, I've had a pretty smooth recovery. Psychologically, um, I would say that pretty much for the whole first year, I felt worse rather than better. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. I didn't see that coming at all. I mean, I knew obviously that going through something like this is going to be challenging. I anticipated that, but I did not anticipate, you know, the emotional wallop, I suppose, of what it would, I mean, I say that like, of what it would be like. And then I thought, surely a transplant that is a good match and works well is what everybody sort of hopes for. It's, you know, it's amazing. It's, some people don't get it in time. Why would you, why would you be anything other than just happy and grateful for, for what you've got? And maybe that's part of it. Yeah. This expectation that you have to be, you know, oh, perfect I'm fixed now. It's great. Yeah. And actually, that's a real fallacy, isn't it? Because there's so much about the, that first year that's mm. so intense on yeah. the medical front and the monitoring front, and you know, maybe more so than you were used to before. Yeah. Um, that people don't necessarily expect, even with all the psychological preparation in the world. Yeah. I think you're never going to be prepared no. for that. I certainly wasn't. I don't think anybody ever can be, like mm. you say. But I, I don't know. I guess I didn't expect it to be as difficult and mm. as emotionally challenging as it was. That's for sure. And I think that kind of almost fed into it. It's it sort of fed into itself because mm. I thought, is it just me that's feeling worse rather than better? Am I like? doing something wrong am I some sort of you know bad or ungrateful like recipient this isn't this isn't how I should yeah, yeah. be dealing with it and I can totally empathize with that when you're not feeling how you should yeah when you're like oh everything's going great why do I feel like yeah, crap yeah um yeah no I, I, can, I can relate to that side of things I mean what were the specifics that what was it were there any specific things that were really troublesome what was it that that you felt was not as you expected in particular? I don't know. It's really hard to kind of put my finger on specific things. But I certainly felt a lot more down than I anticipated. And even though I had, you know, I, I started working full time again, not in a teaching job, but in another job, um, an office-based job, three months after my transplant, which was wow. fine. I, I was probably medically fit to do it at that stage. Mm. And they knew and everything what... Um, that I'd had a transplant and that I still needed to go to clinic for it and everything. So they were understanding in that capacity. But I think, I don't know, I think for me it was just maybe needing to to unpack everything that I'd been through and sort of get my head around it all. Maybe it was just I an accumulation of yeah, all, all that you've been through over was. a number of years and yeah. suddenly it's it's done, this is the moment and well, it's just a release. Yeah, and that, ti- that for me, that ties in with what you'd said about mm. panic mode. Mm. Oh, yeah. That, you know, there's a, you know, if you think there's one part of your brain that's like, I got this. Yes. We're not going to, we're not going to panic yeah. now. Yeah. We're going to sort this out. But then ultimately, you know, once medically, I suppose it calmed down, your brain's like, mm. right, we need to deal yeah. with that now. You're possibly right. It's like you put it in a box. And that just sits there until the box because you have so no capacity no. at that time to 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 deal with it. Um, did any of any of your sort of um, I was going to say transplant friends? Is yes. that an okay term? It's fine. Uh, yes, I think it sounds like you've got a number of them. I yeah. do. I'm so lucky to be yeah, connected to a huge group of other, not just transplant recipients, but kidney patients. Um, which says an awful lot for social media and Facebook, and you know that sort of 
type of support network. Because and that's where they all came amazing, from. Yeah. 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 I mean, some of my best friends I met online, mm. which I never mm. imagined would have been the case. But and have any of them sort of have you been able to relate to them? Did they feel a sort of yes. similar tidal wave of emotion yes. after the fact? As it turns out, it was not just me right. who was struggling with this type of thing after transplant. I eventually came to realise that it is very, very common mm. to deal with this in the first year and beyond as well, to some extent. Um, but nobody tells you that. Mm. And I don't know why nobody tells you that. Mm. We're telling the world with the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that it's okay if yeah. your mental health is not as mm. great as you expect it to be after a transplant. It doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It doesn't mean that you're ungrateful for what you've been given or that you're not fit to cope. It just it just is. So with your psychology prep, yes. you don't remember ever having a specific conversation about what things would be, or you didn't feel prepared for it, even though you felt psychologically that you'd had a lot of support. Yeah, I not... thought I was prepared. Yeah. But it's hard in that case. And this, um, I mean, I'm not like saying it's the fault of my psychologist or the team that supported no, me at all. That... But I think it's difficult to prepare for something that you don't know what you're preparing mm. for. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know, it sound, it, it's, it's ringing bells in my mind of... Um, uh, postnatal depression mm. in the sense that everyone you speak to and everyone who meets you sort of after that after drive you you've, you've got a newborn or after you've had a yeah. transplant everyone's assuming that it's the greatest thing yeah. in the world that could have ever happened to you and your life should be perfect yeah. so anything that's mm. less than that and then we say well you know, once you hit that downward spiral you know once you you should be feeling 100 percent, but you're only 98 yeah. but you worry about that two percent and then before you know it that's 50, you know, you're sort of yeah. 50% down and, and down and down and down. It's just expectation management, mm. isn't it? I mean, so much so, I think. And that's a really interesting analogy yeah. with the um Because it's like, stuff. oh, congratulations on your transplant. That's amazing. Yeah. You look amazing. You know, I feel like crap. Yeah. And then I remember directly after my transplant, in the first few months, I had a reaction to a drug called MMF. Mm. which is one of the anti-rejection medications that I had to take to obviously stop my kidney from rejecting. And one of the things that it caused was very significant, quite rapid weight loss. Mm. So I I think over the space of about six to eight weeks, lost probably about, I mean, I don't wear myself in stones, but I'd say probably about two and a half, wow. which is a lot. Mm. But people were like, you look amazing. Oh, no. Because they thought, okay, weight loss, young woman, good. She's happy loving day. it. Yeah. yeah, because women yeah. should be skinny. Yeah. Yeah. I felt horrendous. Oh, I was. I got to the point where I would open the packet of tablets and vomit because it was like a cue. Yeah. yeah. You know, like Pavlov's dog mm. yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but fortunately, that did. Um, it improved with time once I was able to decrease the dosage and. Um, Mm. it's I'm fine with it now but that was really difficult because it was like people making an assumption about how mm. you felt and how you were based yeah. on how you looked on the outside yeah. and yet there I was you know really worried that I've lost too much weight too quickly this is you know a risk to me yeah well yeah and I'm also vomiting repeatedly am I absorbing my anti-rejection mm. medication oh yeah um, but no I was very lucky that obviously it was treatable and manageable and I've now found the two and a half stone again. <laughs> but um, but no, that was that was an example, I think, that 
stuck in my head. It wasn't people being insensitive, but it was people making an assumption. Mm. Yeah. And Holly, what, what's your medication burden now? Do you have a lot to take still or are you pretty good? In terms um, of- I would say that I remember when I was in hospital after my transplant still, the pharmacist came to see me to talk through all the medication that I would have to take. Mm. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to poison myself. <laughs> I'm going to get this wrong. How will I How ever get my head around all yeah, of this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously you do because mm. it becomes part of your life and you know your routine now i think my medication's pretty pretty stable i don't really have it altered that much mm. other than maybe if i need iron supplements or mm. b12 or whatever um but no on the whole i take tacrolimus i take mmf i still take five milligrams of prednisone mm. as um you know my anti-rejection regime you're still cleaning your wardrobe every night Sadly not. (laughs) (laughs) I am not. The state of my wardrobe is shove the doors shut and hope that nothing makes a break for it. That's what they're for. It's it's when you have to hold stuff in place while you shut. That's the trick. The same shoe every time. Every time I open it, the same shoe falls out onto the floor. (laughs) And I guess that's the difference between the high dose treatment and the maintenance low dose stuff that you don't experience the same level of side effect hopefully on the whole i would say that my medication burden as you've Mm. described it as i don't really see it as a burden it's just part part of my life apart from obviously one of the side effects of tacrolimus is hair loss yeah so my hair has thinned a bit Mm. as a result of taking it and that is something that it does bother me and has mm. bothered me because even though it started to grow back a bit, it's never going to be, you know, how mm. it was before. Yeah. But it's strange because it bothers me, but at the same time, the alternative is losing my transplant. So I sort of have to get my head around, okay, it's not what I would choose, but... But then it sort of speaks to what yeah. we said before about things that it can be does, seen and right. things that can't. Yeah, just it you're must right. be, you know, that different stages, you must have found that different things yeah. were problematic yeah. for different reasons, I guess. And now, you know, the medical side is so much better and that yes. you're much more stable. So yes. you notice those seemingly less significant yeah, things you're right. in the, you know, and in I the mean, context I of anything have, else. I obviously talked to my consultant and my transplant mm. nurse about that because we have the type of relationship where I do feel comfortable to bring up, you know, quote unquote minor petty things and my pharmacist actually said there's a supplement that you can take that is safe for Mm. you that might help your hair to grow back a Mm. bit yeah so I take that um I think it has helped a bit but Mm. it's hard to to you're right the way you phrased it then as well saying like bringing up minor problems yeah Yeah. that sort of feeds into like if you are self-conscious about it or you are worried about it and then there's that other little voice in your head that's like okay it's just yeah Absolutely. No, it's what's important. It's minor, but it's not minor. It's like I think it's like steroid weight. Yeah. Yeah. Because I have been when I was first diagnosed and first treated, sixty milligrams of prednisone is Mm. a pretty decent chunk, which meant that I put on a lot of weight Mm. fairly rapidly. So I, at that stage, looked ill, and I knew that I looked ill, and I felt horrendous about myself. Mm. and even though the vast majority of my close friends and family obviously knew why and that it was for you know a really important reason I was seriously ill I did receive some unwanted comments from individuals as well Mm. that 
now I can kind of put it in perspective mm. to say that that's testament to the how much people don't understand mm. invisible illness, even when it is visible, they don't understand the impact mm. that it can have. Yeah. But it's not something that I'll ever forget. Yeah. But now I can kind of contextualize it as it says more about their understanding yeah. or lack of understanding yeah. than it ever does about me. I think that also kind of laid out to me that the people that support you aren't always who you think they're going to be. Mm. And that a serious illness, whether it's kidney disease or lupus or anything else, is a pretty good litmus test mm. of who around you is genuine and who perhaps isn't so much. Mm. Yeah. Um, but no, it it certainly put some things in perspective, mm. perspective for me, that's for sure. Mm. Mm. And Holly, how did you deal with all of this? with your family not being, you know, close by. Yeah, I mean, really literally on the yeah. other side that, of the world. Yeah. That was challenging and at some point still continues to be challenging. But at the same time, it is my choice yeah, yeah, yeah. to be yeah. here. Um, I know that I'm very lucky to have, you know, the means and the ability to still, to still mm. be here. But obviously there were some conversations and are still some ongoing conversations around, you know will there come a time where my health deteriorates further and I will perhaps have to go back to New Zealand? Mm. Or, or you know, is that something you just sort of play by ear? But I think at the time, I remember when my first consultant in New Zealand said, you do realise you can still go? I remember my parents and other friends and family being absolutely horrified. <laughs> that, like, what? that he was encouraging me to do this. That... Um, you know, was I brave? Was I irresponsible? Was mm. I just like completely insane? <laughs> it was very empowering. It was. It was hugely empowering. And I think that, that I remembered that because it was empowering. Yeah. And that was, even though I've struggled since and probably will continue to do so at periods throughout my journey. I hate that word. But <laughs> my experience. <laughs> I use it all the time. Um, <laughs> I see it written so down cheesy. and I'm just like. Oh, no, um, <laughs> Note to self. That, you know, yes, it's part of my life, but it doesn't control my whole life. I still have choices that I'm free to make in line with what matters. Mm. Um, and I think that's that's quite important, I think. And I hope that every patient has, you know, the op an op opportunity like I like I have not necessarily to emigrate and move across the world on their own that's not but just to know that's an option and that's yeah, a choice and people have to you don't yeah, have to do it's it it's an example but, yeah but it's an example of me realizing this is something that I want there's a way that I can still pursue it yeah unless you, yeah but uh, the optimal outcome is that you can do all the things that yes. you would have ever chosen to do despite your yeah. illness you know that's that's but true I mean, in, success yeah. isn't it in some people's case their illness is such where there are things and choices that they aren't free to make and I mean or maybe they they don't want to make or I don't know but everybody's situation is different but I don't know I think are there any things you feel you might have done were it not for having had um like chronic kidney disease that's a really difficult question because I the honest answer is that I don't know because yeah, yeah, it's, it's like not like thing. I can ever rewind my mm. life. But I mean, there's nothing that comes to your, you're not sort of conscious of, oh, I, w I really would have done this. I really would have liked to have done that, but I can't. You don't sort of feel that. Um, 
Not that I want you to feel that. No, I, just, I, was, I was thinking the same in terms of, do you feel that it's restricted you in any specific way? You know, I always wonder about how people feel that their life has been altered or whether, exactly as you say, are there, are there different directions you would have gone in? Do you think if you, but maybe it is too difficult a question to answer. It is, it's a really difficult question. Possibly, possibly not. I mean, mm. I don't know. At the moment, for example, pulling an example out of the air, having children. Mm-hmm. I always thought when I was younger, yes, of course I want children. I want as many children as I can possibly have. I love children. And now when I'm 32 and I'm sort of like, okay, Mr. Wright has yet to make his appearance. <laughs> maybe, maybe I don't. And that's not because I'm worried they're going to perhaps inherit my condition or mm. I won't be able to parent the way that I would like to. It's just not something that, I don't know. Not Not something that's important to me anymore. I don't Mm -hmm. know when that changed or why it changed or whether it would be any different if I didn't have Mm -hmm. this. But it's just an example, I suppose, of the way my perspective has evolved as I've got older. Choosing to have children or not have children, I mean, I've had conversations with my consultant, with other, you know, clinicians that I've encountered through other things I've been involved in with. I've said, you could have children. It is you know, possible for you, but there would be implications in terms of how it might affect your transplant Mm. and how it might, you know, affect your health in general. You would have to seek advice specific to you if that was something Mm. you wanted to pursue. So I certainly appreciate for women that do want a family and men that perhaps want children as well um, to, to think about. Um, I've got a question for yeah. you, Holly, if it's okay. Yeah, yeah. I just wonder if you spend much time thinking about the future or whether you learned through your experiences that you had to just take it day at a time and whether you're like that in life now. I think it's a bit of a mixture. I mean, I obviously am well aware that I'm not cured. I will never be cured. Mm-hmm. It is likely that I will need at least one more transplant throughout my life. Mm-hmm. That's something that I am aware of. But at the same time, I try to not think about it every day because I think it would almost feel like a waste of the time and the stability and the good health that I do currently have. So even though it is in my mind that there'll be other, you know, complications and barriers and situations to deal with in the future, you kind of have to have them in your mind but have them to one side so you can get on with Mm. now and your life at the moment with your circumstances the way they are. And it's the same for everyone, so, isn't it? Because no one knows yeah. what the future will hold. I mean, so it's best to... Yeah, that's yeah. right. And I think that's probably the... But certainly the best way for me to deal with it is to kind mm. of be aware of it and be mindful of, you know, mm. are there things that I'm doing that might have implications on my future health and mm. um, things that are having blood transfusions, for instance. I've... Mm had to have several of those for another medical unrelated medical circumstance and I sort of think oh, I want to try and avoid that as much as possible because mm. I know I'll need a second kidney transplant mm. in my life so even it's quite a tricky like thing that, to avoid it is, it's difficult <laughs> like if you need it you need it but yeah but um yeah I wouldn't say that I live in fear no, no. of this kidney failing and mm. you know having to go back on dialysis and back onto the list mm. but it's something that's there but it's sort of part of you yeah, yeah, it just it just is. Sort of related to what you just said there, I'm going to be chatting to um, Sean Griffin oh, right, about, yeah. and she's doing a project looking at sensitization. Mm. If you have had 
um, transfusions yes. before a transplant and ways that they can sort of mitigate mm. the problems associated with that. Mm. So, um, in terms of your involvement with the psychological side of things, and and I believe you're are you UK or UK funded, or is the The project that I'm currently involved in is jointly between Kidney Research UK and the Centre for Mental Health. Right. And it's still in quite early stages. Yeah. But it's just started because obviously we recognise the significant impact that chronic kidney disease has on the mental health of people that have to live with it. And I mean, I became involved in it as, you know, the sort of patient voice and patient perspective, along with another patient as well, um, who's got circumstances slightly different to mine. Um, just because we both of us really see, or we've lived, you know, this this experience, we've seen how it's impacted our, our lives and our experience. Our, we've seen how it's impacted us and our real life. So we sort of want to be involved in anything that might help to make it even that little bit easier for other people that have to go through it. Yeah, I mean, it's super important that yeah. it's patients that are involved yes. in that because, you know, we can never know your perspective. So, yeah, I mean, is it... So it sounds like you had quite a good um, experience on the psychological You were about treatment. to say journey then, weren't you? <laughs> I, I did think about it. <laughs> and I'm not saying it again, <laughs> ever. <laughs> Uh, quite a good powerful <laughs> um, your saga um, <laughs> um, oh, no. completely lost my train of thought now. Um, sorry no, I've had sounded, a good experience yeah no it sounded like you're, you're, so you were quite happy with how your psychological treatment went would you be keen to sort of make sure that was more widely available oh if I could clone my experience mm. and Aww. give it to every single patient I absolutely would I, I, I'd like to say at this point, the first time I met you, Holly, was at the Transplant Games yes. in Newport. Uh, was that like September last year? August, yeah. August. And um, the sense of community. So obviously I was, oh, yeah. I was there just to sort of, um, Kidney Research UK yes. wanted just a couple of scientists there to talk yeah. to like yeah, public engagement type stuff. And um, the sense of community that yeah. the transplant guys had... Like, I felt like a real outsider there. <laughs> like, I felt like this looks like an awesome club yeah. and I am not invited. It like, is incredible. It's indescribable. I, I knew about the transplant games before I had a transplant because I'd heard about it through other people that I knew and I thought, well, I'm not very sporty. There's no point in me going there. I'd just be rubbish at everything. <laughs> but it's about more than that. Mm. And I think you used the word community to describe it. And I would say that that is exactly what it is. So there were people there who had, uh, who were live donors. Yeah. And they had like special t-shirts on. But they were treated like oh, yeah. royalty. Oh. Like when they entered like the room <laughs> where you were, everyone was like turning, Whoa. smiling, yeah. cheering. It was, oh, it was incredible. Amazing. Yeah, I haven't been and I really need to go. go. I think even if something I haven't done. If you're a transplant recipient or a live donor or a family member and you think it's not for you because you're not athletic, don't worry. Just go anyway, go and watch if you live nearby. And just be part of that atmosphere and that, you know, club that we're all in. None of us Mm. would have chosen to be in it. But I think the fact that we're connected to but it... you certainly embraced it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. They've connected to it has been hugely beneficial to mm. me. But no, the Transport Games is incredible. It's yeah. so amazing. 
no, I was really glad to um uh, to, to, to to be there, and yeah, hopefully I'll be there again. Yeah, that's um, amazing. Yeah. And Holly, can I ask just from the what, what because we've obviously got Carl, epic researcher here. <laughs> um, do you um do you keep up to date um with you know advances in the field, or are you interested in the research side of it? Do you kind of immerse yourself in that in any way, or are you or not? Um, I wouldn't say I immerse myself in it, but if I'm sent articles about it i'll read them and i'm part of the kidney voices for research group on Mm, facebook which i think is a really good initiative to kind of involve patients in that side of things a Mm. lot because i think i don't know maybe a lot of us just think it's beyond us or it's not you know it's not for patients but it certainly has Mm. implications for us even if it's the whole point yeah yeah even if it's not now yeah in 5 10 15 20 years I mean, it's, it to- it's totally not beyond anyone. Yeah. What what we as a scientific community need to be doing is making sure that we are um, explaining ourselves. Mm. So, you know, I'm currently uh, medical research council funded. Um, so that's government money. That's taxpayers money. Um, and they make it very clear that they, they do expect us to be doing public engagement um, and sort of being... Um, just responsible for the for the money we spend and the work that we're doing and informing patients of of, of what we're doing on mm. on their behalf we we as a community we we could be doing better we should be doing more um and it's not about sort of because i think there'll be some patients who are just like do you know what mm. i I, oh, I don't sort of yeah. identify with it enough to know but it, it needs to be that we're putting no. the information out there so it's completely accessible mm. part of that is um not using language yes that we don't have to. Mm. Um, sometimes the name of a drug is the name of a drug and that's what it is. Yeah. But I mean, there are certainly other things that we could explain more simply. Mm. I think that just to defend the scientific community a little bit, what I always find tricky is you you don't want to assume knowledge in someone mm. because if you assume knowledge, you can sort of alienate them if you're talking at a level that they they don't necessarily understand and you, you make them feel worse. If you pitch it too low... You might come across a bit as a bit patronising. Yeah, no, right. It is it, it is difficult. It's it's okay in situations like this because you can sort of gauge like, well, how engaged, how how um, sort of informed is this yeah. person? Have they? But there's it's certainly not beyond the wit of yeah. anyone to un, to understand it. But it but the onus is on us to yes. explain it, not on you to understand yeah. it. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I think no. that's it, isn't it? You know, if you, if you you know, as a as a good scientist or a good uh, clinician, your job is to mm. make the message understandable mm. or transmit the message in the right form without the jargon mm. and you know that's a such a skill that you know we'll try and practice yeah no you're right day. i remember last year um kidney research invited myself and a couple of other patients to fellows day oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and um i wasn't quite sure what to expect before i went but it was brilliant it was so interesting to sit there and actually listen to presentations mm. so this was in, have, in leicester yes yeah, yeah. and have you know the the booklet that they gave you there and it had lay summaries Mm. at the side so I could read without because I don't have any sort of science background at all I could read and then kind of feel like I did have a handle on what was being discussed and then having you know the actual researchers there to talk to you in person one-to-one as well Mm. to ask questions that that really helped that really sort of twigged mm. my interest a bit I was but they're, like, oh. they're really good experiences yeah. for yes. us because we never those lay summaries mm. if we're going to other um conferences 
that you don't have to write yeah. those. They are they are pure. Well, in my experience, they've only ever been for the the Fellows Day because yes. that's the only conference where um, sort of patients and scientists mm. will integrate as closely as they do. What was really interesting is um, the Podocyte conference that's coming up. Oh yeah. Um, I love that there's a Podocyte conference. It's awesome that there's a Podocyte conference. They followed me on Twitter. I'm like Podocyte conference. <laughs> yeah. I think it's because they're in Manchester, and so am I. So yeah, maybe they're in Manchester. That I'll. You, oh, you sh- well, they've, they're doing a pa- they're having a patient day. Oh, right. So, and it's the first time they've done it, so it's oh, going to be like the last cool. day of the conference. Um, and I think broadly, it's going to be sort of some of the key points that oh, have been yeah. raised at the conference, then discussed with patients. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about FSGS, I should probably touch on, mm-hmm. is the podocyte is probably the key cell. Uh, I say probably. I Don't th- tell Simon Satchel. I f- yeah, I firmly <laughs> think it is. In Bristol, here in Bristol, we, uh, uh, Professor Moin Salim, who's my boss, um, probably, what was it now, probably about 15 years ago now, he was the first person to sort of make a cell line of podocytes. Um, and what we can do with that as well is we can, if we get explant tissue from a patient, mm. we can make a cell line from their tissue and sort of figure out exactly what's going on right. with with that person's cells simon satchel unfortunately grows the endothelial cell which some people think is important um it may or may not be uh, i wouldn't like to comment i'm on the podocyte side um so the podocyte is like an octopus that sits yes. on the capillary and it filters the blood um and if you've so you've either got a genetic defect uh, that can cause fsgs and that will be in a protein that encodes the actual sort of molecular sieve part um, of, of the kidney um, or it can be in something that sort of regulates the shape and function mm. of the podocyte itself um, and like I say if you've got a mutation in one of those genes you're probably going to get FSGS mm. when you're two to three years mm. of, of age um, you can get it caused by a circulating mm. factor that we don't know what that factor is we have several there have been lots of candidates over the years but none of them have ever quite fit as like a you know really complicated Venn diagram of characteristics and I think that speaks to it there not being one Mm. factor especially as like Caroline said earlier we we're diagnosing these disease based on their end point like what they Mm. cause the kidney to look like so there probably are quite a few different causes um this is just me plugging my work now (laughs) Um, but rather than us so some patients I don't know if you ever had it but some patients have um, plasma exchange um it's what they can do to sort of it's when you know there's something in the plasma that's causing the disease and you, you try and get rid of it. Um, and we get given those plasma bags for research. And it is it is essentially the world's hardest game of where's Wally and you don't know what Wally looks like is, is what it is. Because there's this litres and litres and you're looking for a molecule in there. Um, but we've really, really narrowed it down over the years. So we've done a lot of work. There was a paper published in 2013 by um, Jess Harris, who was uh, a PhD student and postdoc here, um, showing that they thought it was, that the circulating factor was a protease signaling via PAR1, um, which is a receptor on the podocyte. Um, and it's been my postdoc project since to sort of follow that lead to the point now where we're fairly sure, without knowing what the circulating factor is or where it comes from, but we're fairly sure it works via the PAR1 receptor. Um, and that gives us a therapeutic target then. And I think, you know, talking about you, Holly, saying everyone's disease is really different, that's another really important point in all the research efforts in that research is really being targeted more and more towards the individual yeah. rather than 
the general yes. person or patient. Um, so to have those individual experiences and know about someone's disease at a really individual level is really helpful. And, you know, hopefully there'll be a time when we can stratify patients mm. into very specific groups and say, actually, this is the drug that you need or this mm. is the treatment that you need based on very early understanding of, of, of the type of disease that you have. I presume that you never... Did you ever have any genetic studies done? No, I don't in, think in so, amongst no. your workup? No. Okay. But, yeah. I mean, Carl, from your perspective, I'm always interested in what the researchers slant it is in terms of what's the most exciting thing that you see for the next 10 years is that a really annoying and difficult no, no, question no. i no. just want to know this. um yeah what, what would what would be the the best thing to come out of 10 years of research in in kidney medicine so the kidney organoid stuff is like super super, super cool. advanced super and cool. so what they what they can do is they can take a skin biopsy um, and from those cells, they can generate something called. I'm really off topic now, so I'll check this before it goes <laughs> out. Um, I might have to edit this. Um, they can make what they call induced pluripotent stem cells. No, that is right. That yeah. is definitely right. Cool. Pretty sure. Yeah. They basically t- trick that cell to going back to an early developmental stage. And then by mi- putting it in different broths over time, they force it down a lineage to sort of become a kidney cell, so to speak. Uh, and they can develop small kidneys. Wow. That th- th- they've basically taken the development that as far as they can. Uh, I think that I think it's currently at as far as they can without plumbing them in. So I think the development that is controlled by like transcription factors and things that they could sort of add to the cells mm. has gone as far as it can down that way. What they need to do now is they they plumb them in, and I think they plumb them into eggs, so you can get like a chicken egg, take part of the shell off, and there's vasculature within the well it's a developing embryo a chicken yeah, egg yeah. and then they plumb that into these developing human glomeruli if they crack that mm. the rest of our projects are moot like it, it it wouldn't matter you know if they crack that so that they can take a skin biopsy and grow you a kidney wow which is you know this work has come along so fast like in the last 10 it's basically developed in the last 10 years so in another 10 years yeah, I'd imagine they can just grow you a kidney. And, you know, your kidney from your, your stem kidney. cell. You know, your yeah. kidney. Do you know what I mean? As in, this is like... D- there's no... Incredible to, yeah. That's like mind-boggling using. to yeah. me. So there would be... Yeah, so, you know, chronic kidney disease at that point would go from being, you know, a real, uh, uh, you know, a really serious thing for you to sort of take so, on board. Uh, so we'll just grow another one. <laughs> what a minor inconvenience. So, like, mate, you're going to be pretty unwell for, like, a month while we grow it. Um... And that will be a pain. You know, that's that, that's the real like thing of the change. That, that, like, hopefully nice. we'll get to the point where we'll lose all sense of perspective mm. and being told you have to wait a month for having yeah. your new kidney grown. See, that, that is an inconvenience. That is amazing because, I mean, I've just said that I'll need another transplant in my mm. lifetime. I'm currently 32. Mm. Will that be a thing I, in I, my lifetime? I, 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 I would, I mean, you know, this is off topic for me. Yeah, yeah. But I would imagine so. And... You know what, like Caroline says, it's your kidney. So presumably there'd be no need for anti rejection. No, and that's the point, isn't it? Because the reason that your kidney yeah. has a shelf life is because you it's know it's not yours, yeah. um, and and you've got to take these drugs that have those negative side effects in terms of they can they damage your kidney mm-hmm. at the same time as they prevent you rejecting. So it's such a balancing wow. act, isn't it? So you know we were talking about grail. science in films. Have <laughs> you guys seen The Island? Seen what? Sorry. It's a film oh, called the, the Island with no. Ewan McGregor, 
all these people think that they are um, part of a lottery. And if your number gets drawn, you get to go to this like paradise. Um, And they're in this facility and they have to like sort of exercise X amount and eat right, you know. But it turns out that they're just kept as a clone for someone in the real world. It's grim. Yeah. But we wouldn't have to do that either. That's That's the point. Just thank you very much for having me and letting me talk a bit about, I don't know, maybe things that people don't really like to talk about yeah, in no, I terms think you have. of mental health and so, struggling with it because it shouldn't be, I don't know, overly sensitive and maybe still even now a bit taboo. Hmm. But I think it is, hmm. particularly when there's so much expectation on people post-transplant to feel amazing and, hmm. you know... So we recognise that it's not a cure, but at the same time, we still put so much pressure on ourselves to live our life as if it is. Well, I'm I'm really keen. That's that's something I feel really strongly about, even as someone who hasn't received a transplant, is that transplants should not be seen as a cure. Mm. It's 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 an effective treatment, oh. you know. But but that's let's just keep that limitation mm-hmm. that it is a treatment, yeah. uh, and it's certainly not a cure. Yeah. No, I would say that my transplant is absolutely the most. It's the most amazing thing that's ever happened to mm. me but it's also probably been the most difficult thing yeah that i've ever had to deal with yeah. because so much of it's unknown so much of it's unpredictable there's so many layers it's like peeling an onion mm. you know just when you think you've got your head around one aspect then another one springs to mind and it's like oh i don't know how i feel about that how so do i unpack it all what um you know, if any if any of us had a friend who had a had a transplant or, or came across people who just recently had a transplant, what should we be asking or not asking? Or is it a simple case of just saying instead of saying like you look great, I bet you're doing great, just to be like, are you are you all right? Are you okay? You mean for yourselves as a support if you're yeah. supporting oh, yeah. somebody? I would say, yeah, maybe not making assumptions about how you think they're feeling or how you think they should be feeling. Just giving us space to sort of talk to you or not talk to you because I know the close friends that I do speak to that haven't gone through any of this they are the ones that I know are absolutely non-judgmental they appreciate that they don't understand that they can't understand what it's like but they know that even though what even regardless of what I've experienced I'm still myself Mm. I had a kidney transplant. I didn't have a personality transplant. <laughs> Even though it's changed it. my perspective and my outlook on things, I'm still me. I think I might put that as like the lead for the <laughs> no, That's really key though, yeah. You, yeah, you, no, I say it like it's a joke, but it's, no, changed, re- it's changed my perspective, but it, I'm still myself. Mm. Yeah. And is there anything that you would wish you'd known that, that you would tell someone else? That I wish I'd known that I would tell another patient. That other patients, that people who get it, are absolutely invaluable. Even if you think that you don't want to join a support group or you don't want to connect yourself with the wider kidney community and transplant community, at least give it a try. Because you never know who you're going to meet. You never know, you know, what Mm. opportunities might come out of it for support or for maybe for you to contribute something back if it's something that you want to i would say that you know you can dip your toe in and then perhaps if it's not for you at that stage in life come back to it mm-hmm. later but i know certainly for me i don't know how i would have coped if i didn't have the support that i've got from other friends that have kidney disease mm-hmm. 
I guess for all its ills, that's perhaps where Facebook is quite yes. handy mm, in a sense absolutely. that if you just joined a group or followed a group, you, you can mindlessly mm. scroll past that on your feed. But if you, you know, if you are just suddenly wanting to feel that level of engagement, yeah. it's right there for you. I think, I mean, as you say, social media has a bad rep sometimes. And even with, you know, patient support groups, there are posts on there that you should take with a grain of salt because it might not be reliable. It might not be even written in good faith because you don't know who people are when they're at the other end of a computer. But I think once you scratch the surface and once you kind of dig through all of the stuff that's not relevant to you, that's mm. not helpful or useful, there's there's other things out in there that absolutely are. Mm. So, yeah, social media is is a huge, huge opportunity for support and engagement and community that... I hope that everyone will have the chance to become connected with if it's what they want. Cool. Is there anything else anyone wants to add? No, I don't no, think so. You. It's just been cool. great to have you here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and thank you so much. So so we fun. really appreciate it. It's a long way that you've yeah. come and uh, you've been great. And I think thank a lot you. of people will um, really relate to what you said. Mm-hmm. And I think there'll be an equal number so. of people that will be able to sort yeah. of, you know, like us, try and just try and get the, get it into our heads of, of, of exactly what you've been through. Yeah. Um, and the yeah, and the biggest take home for me will be, um, whilst it is great news that you you get your transplant, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just be mindful that that person is only, you know, the transplant is possibly the end of that part of the medical yeah. journey, but it's it, it sounds like it's the beginning of your emotional journey. Yeah, I realise I'm quite using a the good word way journey. of putting it, even though you have just said the word that I'm twice. Oh no, now I know, I know, I get the but no, I, I think I think in this case it's permissible because it makes. Sorry. <laughs> it's such it's such a word that we use I all know. the time. So what is it? The, the, do you have a, a, a hatred of it for any particular I, reason? I don't know why I hate it. <laughs> I just enough. see it and I think I want to read pen. And Maybe I want you've to been scroll on you've it. just been exposed to it. Too I think much. I have. Yeah, I don't know exposure. But then I think you know, need to go on a journey about your <laughs> connection about to the word rage. journey. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> But no, I think if I want anyone to take something away from listening to this, it is, don't use that word. And also, (laughs) one other thing as well that I know I didn't mention earlier when I was talking about my donor and my donor family, Um, the anniversary of my Mm. transplant. I know everybody kind of deals with that in different ways. And I know some people have a party every Mm. year or celebrate or mark it somehow Mm. and I kind of thought that that might be what I would choose to do and then the first anniversary came along and I was like this isn't this isn't right for me and I still Mm. even Mm. now I mean it'll be four years in October I still haven't quite got my head around the right what's right for me Mm. to to mark that, mm. I hope that in time I will. I mm. hope that in time it will be able to be, in my mind, you know, a recognition of what I've experienced and also what my donor's family have experienced yeah. since since then as well. But I think that's another thing that's so individualised and there is yeah. no right and there is no wrong. Yeah, and it sounds to me yeah. like you're sort of thinking of that little and often throughout the yeah. year. I don't know if you maybe you might not feel that you need a specific day to sort of dedicate time to think about no. that celebrating it sounds yeah. like you're sort of doing that on I and am. off all I the time I hope I am because you know that just feels right to me yeah but 
But equally, if you get to the seventh anniversary, that's a totally fine one to yeah. start on. It's not like yeah. a... It's not you know, like, oh, well, you've not done it every year, so yeah. no, you never can. And yeah. I think that's that's a time thing as well. Your perspective changes over time. Yeah. But also, party. Is it okay to have a party? <laughs> yeah, yeah, if you want to. I have friends that have parties that celebrate and say it's amazing that I've had another year of yeah. health and life and, you know, stability. I think that's incredible if, if they want to do that. Um, I don't know whether I... I ever will. Maybe I will in time. Maybe I won't. But I think, I think it's just whatever feels right at yeah. the time. Just giving people that, put not, that space. There's not really a wrong. No, I don't think. No, I think that's great. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank that you. is a wrap. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Right. So that's the end of our interview with Holly. It was a great two-parter. Um, I think, just like me, you will learn a lot from how eloquently and articulately Holly spoke about her personal experiences. I just never even paid attention to what it might be for a transplant recipient after they've received the transplant. You know, when Holly talked at length about the sort of psychological effects and people assuming that everything's okay now because you've had your transplant and in fact you're still struggling on. Um, So it was a really great perspective to get from Holly there and, and thank you very much for coming all the way down to Bristol. It was interesting to hear um, a little bit more about the side effects of some of these drugs. So tacrolimus, again, for me as a scientist, it's just a term that gets used in a paper. We might be investigating the molecular effects of tacrolimus on cells or what have you. Um, it's It's just really important that we get the perspective that these drugs... Whilst they might be effective treatments, um, they do come with side effects, and some of those side effects aren't particularly nice. I'm going to spend a lot of time before the next time we interview a patient trying to find a different way of talking about a patient's experience without using the word journey. Holly did a really good job at getting across one of the things that I always think about transplants is that they are an excellent treatment, but they're far from a cure. Um, And we really need to get that out there as a public message that... Um, whilst they're brilliant it's not the end of um, that patient's experience with their nephrologist it's not like they turn up get their transplant go home and everything's absolutely perfect forever in a day you know that graft the function of that kidney is continually monitored Uh, the patient depending on the extent of the match of the transplant organ they've received might be on extensive immunosuppression and that comes with a sort of constant vigilance for looking out for getting any sort of infection um, interestingly, Holly talked about sensitization. So if you have blood transfusions prior to receiving a transplant, that can limit the range of organs that you can be suitable for. Um, and if you'd like to hear more about sensitization, you can do so on the next episode of Keep It Renal, um, where I'm talking to Dr. Sean Griffin, who's actually looking into how they can improve outcomes for patients um, who have been sensitized. It was great to hear about Holly's psychological care. You know, she was really pleased with the level of care that she received and said that it really couldn't have been better. I think her only sort of quibble was just trying to make sure that everybody had a similar experience to her. Um, One of the lines she came out with that I really, really liked was that she'd had a kidney transplant and not a personality transplant. um, And that transplant patients actually are still first and foremost people and really shouldn't necessarily be spoken to any differently. That she was the same person before and after her kidney transplant. Yeah, she'd had a kidney transplant, not a personalised transplant. No, I think that was brilliant. 
Um, as ever, please check out our online presence so you can use our Facebook page, the Keep It Renal podcast, um, to get in touch with any thoughts about episodes that you've listened to or any thoughts about episodes you'd like to hear. Um, very keen for you to get in touch and give us any sort of feedback. Um, that would be great. You can also use our Twitter handle, which is at Keep It Renal. Again, please use us for getting in touch, giving us feedback about the episodes that we've done and episodes you'd like to hear. Um, and importantly, with the way social media is these days, can you like, like, like and share, share, share? It really helps us get out there. And since this podcast is all about sharing information about um, kidney research and the experiences of patients and clinicians, um, then the more the merrier. So please share it around. Um, thank you very much. And I will speak to you on the next podcast. Until then, take care. Goodbye.